Welcome to another episode of The Two Old Fogey Yogis. Your hosts each week are Swami Ashokananda and Reverend Pram, who between us have nearly 100 years of living la vida integral yoga. And that's what makes us Two Old Fogey Yogis. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the big E. What's the big E? Well, enlightenment, of course. There's so much to talk about what it is, how to get it, get it? What the experience is like. Wait, is it an experience? And have either of us? Well, you'll just have to continue listening and find out. So let's get started. So I was thinking in this episode, why don't we take like a deeper dive into consciousness mm-hmm. and the mysteries of a term that's sometimes known as enlightenment. Okay. Or as one of our guru bhai, you know, Swami Lalitananda has called it for decades, the big E. <laughs> the big E, Okay. <laughs> So I was thinking like to ask you, okay, so what was your first understanding? How did you conceptualize the biggie? I don't know if I have done that from the beginning or even to now. I did trust what people who have achieved the biggie and the scriptures I was reading saying that it's something beyond the capacity for the mind to grasp. And it's something beyond anything you could find words for. Yeah. So I trust that, that uh, it's a matter of me transcending any concepts more than coming up with a concept. Okay. But in the beginning, when you first got on the spiritual path, was that something that was like appealing to you? Was that on your sort of on your checklist or was that like, you know, your goal or did you just not really think about it that much? (laughs) Yeah, it was on my checklist. It was my goal. I didn't know exactly what it was, but it's true. I, I had this goal. Now, I don't so much think of it that way. I think of it more now as an intention. I think there's a distinction between having something as a goal, which is something that I'm trying to do something to achieve. An intention is, as I'm on this journey, I'm aware that every, every part of the journey is totally fulfilling. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what? I don't... I'm trying to, oh, Lordy, I tell you, when I first began on the spiritual path. Yeah, let me hear about your situation, yeah. No, but I mean, I just thought, this enlightenment thing sounds really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought, so you sign up for whatever path, you find a guru, you start doing the practices, you know, in a couple of weeks, <laughs> a couple of weeks. Yeah. It'll be like fireworks. And then suddenly, I don't know, I probably was thinking of a more like kind of like a drug trip, you know, Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you, all this lights and, you know, groovy experience. I mean, okay. It was the seventies people, you know, mm. uh, and people were tripping out on LSD and mushrooms and, you know, having these kind of out-of-body experiences. So I just thought it was kind of something like that, but that it resulted in, you know, not like in drugs where you eventually kind of come down from the high, 
but that you sort of stay high and then you're always just like in this blissful state free floating and just everything is like wonderful <laughs> yeah yeah it's true you know i when i started taking lsd i early on i i had the book um the psychedelic experience by timothy leary oh yeah richard alpert and uh charles metzner and they did something amazing they took the tibetan book of the dead and they, and they translated all these different bardos, these different levels of reality, and they explained how you could go through these different states on LSD. Wow. And is that yeah. what drew you to wanting to experiment with LSD? Yeah, I never saw LSD as, an exper as a, a recreational drug. Oh. Uh, and it was too intense, uh, and you never knew what was going to happen. So I used this book. To try, they, they said, the, you know, there are different levels, but the highest thing is the clear light. So maybe that was my first impression of what could be achieved, something called the clear light. And what was that? What was the clear light? Yeah, I think the best I, would, I understood it was the removal of all suffering, not even the capacity to suffer anymore. Wow. I never knew if it, I never, I don't know if I related to it as the positive aspect of unbelievable bliss, but I understood that there would that it was above the level where the individual dream of suffering was taking place. And, you know, we're talking about, I'm like 16, 17. <laughs> uh, this is how I'm trying to, and I could never, and I really, in the beginning, I would get frustrated because I couldn't reach the clear light. My mind was too restless. And you I mean on, on the LSD? Or? On LSD, on LSD. They were teaching you how to take LSD. And I would take it and I'd try to follow their instructions <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't get to the clear light. Uh, so what'd you, I, what you, what happened? Did you get frustrated? What'd you conclude about it? I got frustrated, and luckily, <laughs> shortly after that, I was experimenting with that. I, I stole the book How to Know God. I was in San Francisco. <laughs> I put it down. My, you know, I started thinking because I grew up an atheist in an atheist family. But this LSD stuff was really pulling the carpet out from under my feet. And I saw this book, How to Know God. I didn't have much money, so I put it down my pants. It turned out to be um, the, Yoga, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, uh, Swami Prabhavananda of the Ramakrishna Order, and Christopher Isherwood, the English author. Yeah, it's so a this, real classic. It's such yeah, a classic. I know, yeah. And... I took LSD and I re started reading this book. Wait, while you were on LSD, you're reading? <laughs> yeah, 70 year old kid reading, take on LSD. And I couldn't, uh, I couldn't understand a lot of it. I couldn't understand reincarnation. I couldn't understand celibacy, you know, for a 70 year old kid who was just filling his oats. <laughs> but a lot of it made amazing sense. I remember reading it at one point, said, you know what, I got to start this in the beginning again. This is amazing. And I left my friends. I was with a few friends on the West Coast, and I started hitchhiking by myself. Not, not hitchhiking, I started taking rails, freight trains back, back to the East Coast oh. while I'm reading this book, while I'm trying this LSD. And the interesting thing was, um, on the way home from that, I began to understand that drugs wasn't the way. I was going to ask you what happened that, would, you know, that caused that shift where at some point you said, Okay, was it just the frustration or it was something else that yeah. caused that shift? Yeah. So I went to my first year in college. I said, you know, I was in the West Coast after high school. I went to my first year of college and um, I started hitchhiking to New York City and seeing this Swami, Swami Sachidananda. 
And he would say things like, you guys keep getting high, coming down, getting high, coming down. Don't you want to get high and stay high? And he said, yeah, that's what we're looking for. He, he yeah. understood that. Yeah. And he said, all right, well, it's a more gradual path. It's more steady, more gradual. I remember going to see him on LSD. No, it, what I went to see him. I had some LSD on me. And I'd never seen the chanting before. And people were, were really chanting in such a powerful way. So I decided to take the LSD. You mean had, you're at the program, I'm, have LSD <laughs> in your pocket. You hear people chanting. This is during a talk that Swami Satchidananda is giving. Not just that. It was Swami Satchidananda, Swami Muktananda, Whoa. and Ram Das. And Ram das. Oh, my goodness. The three of them. Woo! <laughs> and I knew nothing. After that experience, I had a very powerful experience that I, I, I someday I'll, I'll talk to you about that. That, that, that's a whole podcast of itself, what happened <laughs> that, that experience. Uh -oh. But I went, <laughs> but I went home to that. Uh, I, I was in college. So I went to my mom's house uh, to stay at my mom's for the night. And I started uh, doing some, I guess I had learned some Hatha yoga. I started doing the eye movements, Nechivayamam, and I could see 360 degrees. I don't know how it was possible. I could see all the way around my head. I couldn't figure out what was going on. The next day I went to Indico Yoga uh, Center. I saw their schedule. I couldn't believe it. That they wake up early, they study, they do meditation, they study the Gita. I said, this is, this is for me. And shortly after that, I dropped out of college and moved in. Wow. And uh, then what happened with the dr whole drug thing? Yeah, I remember at one point I had, I had some very good hashish and I think marijuana, maybe LSD. And I remember I just, I, and I knew it was a turning point. I, I, I took it out of my pocket. I looked at it. I left it on the park bench and I walked away. Wow. And that was it. I know. Wow. It, was, it was worth a lot of money. <laughs> uh, and I, I just, I looked at it and I, and I walked away and, and I never turned back since then. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so <laughs> was it mainly inspired by what Gurudev was saying about, you know, drugs making you high and then you come back down and so doing the yoga practices and following the path would instead lead you to that more stabilized experience of in a sense being high yeah but, yeah i think like uh, like carlos castanetas i was reading his books at the time right uh, with his guru don juan and you know don juan needed to kind of shake him out of his logical brain he was an academic so he he took these psychotropic plants also and i think that at a certain point don one said that's enough of that now you've shaken you've been shaken from your stuckness and now now you have to earn the next part and that's what it felt like for me that i i think i i'm very grateful i had those experiences even now when friends of mine do ayahuasca, I, I, I say, why would I want to do that? I don't need that. I don't want that. I did all that already, you know. They say, no, no, you, you have to understand. This is really mystical stuff. It's so spiritual. For me now, my path, I, I'm not going to, I don't need to take anything other. And I'm not in a rush to get anywhere now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 And I think we should say that we're not here suggesting that anyone you know, utilize drugs to get anywhere on their spiritual path. And Swami Satchidananda certainly did not recommend the use of drugs because for what you explained that, you know, it's the artificial yeah. high, right? And yeah. he said, you, 
He's a, he would always say, you want to live a natural life. You know, you always say you want, <laughs> you want organic food, you know, you want everything should be natural, organic, but then why do you want an artificial high? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hope I didn't, uh, wasn't encouraging anyone. Uh, yoga is the best drug there is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, he would call yeah. yoga the natural high. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you never regretted, as you have been on the path for 50 years, you never regretted, oh, why did I stop using drugs? No. I mean, I do see... I think it's a natural human, maybe even a need to experience an altered state of consciousness. I think that's the, the normal experience of life is, is, is so difficult that we need to escape. And I, I do find my own ways to escape, but uh, I don't need to alter my consciousness in that way anymore. And also, we don't know what the effect, I mean, there are some studies that show effect even of marijuana on the brain and it doesn't look that good there's so I many can tell you it was hard on my body for sure and and i know there is a psychological dependence on it also mm -hmm. yeah, yeah and when we see so many uh people with so many neurological challenges who you know were in rock bands and <laughs> yeah you know in the scene <laughs> during those days and now yeah. things that they're dealing with which you know, it seems like maybe there is some link, so. Every year I go to um, Fur Priest Ranch in, in, in uh, Ohio. I've been going for the last 20 years or more. And uh, it's owned by uh, Yomaka Cowan, who was the guitar player for uh, Jefferson Airplane. Whoa. And, yeah. And uh, he, he, was, he went very deep into drugs. He married this wonderful lady. She's a friend of mine. And it's so great to see him, him straight and healthy and having this good partner saved his life. Uh, it's so wonderful to see you. He found, he found himself in such a beautiful way now. He's such a beautiful man, Yorma. Wow. So how did you, you say you go every year there? Do you, is it you're going to do a program or you just go there to visit? When I was living at, at, the, at Yogaville, at the, at the ashram, uh, this couple came and they took my class they said, would you ever consider coming to Ohio and leading a program? I said, why not? It took about a year later, they invited me. And we, got, we did this program at this Fur Priest Ranch, uh, Yorma's property. And then we became f the dear fastest friends. And so I've been, I've been going, you know, with the pandemic, we had to cancel last year. We may have to cancel this. It's scheduled for, I think, May of 2021. We'll see what happens. Uh-huh. Yeah, but... Uh, that's been one of the highlights of my, of my years to go with that Ohio retreat. And on pretty much every year, if Yorma's there, he plays for us. He'll come out and play for us. And, you know, his meditation, his music. But I get the reason I bring it up is to see someone who brought himself back and became such a, a, a conscious, alert person. And he went much deeper than me. And he, he probably went into harder drugs than I did. When my friends are moving into cocaine and heroin, I, I, I luckily I had found yoga and I didn't go into those drugs. Yeah, thank, thank goodness for Gurudev's yeah. teachings. Or who knows what would have happened to many of us. Many of us, yeah. I, I remember, you know, back in the day and over the many years, almost every satsang, someone would ask him, so what is it like to be enlightened? You know, mm -hmm. how, what is that? You know, can you 
tell us mm-hmm. and, and how and all of that. And, you know, he would always say, you're enlightened already. <laughs> yeah. And then we'd all go, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> how can we be enlightened? We don't feel enlightened, you know? And then he yeah, would yeah. say, you know, well, you're the pure essence or the image of God or, you know, that consciousness. I was listening to Chris Wallace today. He's a scholar practitioner. He's a founder of the Tantrika Institute of Shaiva Tantra, Kashmiri Shaivism. And he explained something that kind of struck a chord with me. See how it falls on you? Okay. Um, he made a distinction between awakening and freedom, like awakening and spiritual liberation. Okay. And he said, you can have awakening experiences, and yet the content of your mind like remains somewhat the same, so you don't feel or have the experience of total freedom or liberation. And then as you spiritually develop, I'm sort of thinking, you know, the image that comes to mind is like, you know, proverbial ripening of fruit on the tree. So it's a process of continued awakening. So awakening is the process, and then the result, if you want to, you know, use those terms, doesn't exactly describe it, but the result is as the content of the mind gets more and more cleansed, then there is this experience of freedom, spiritual Mm -hmm. liberation. What do you make of that? Yeah, maybe awakening is is a gradual process. Liberation is is instantaneous. Yeah, that's what kind of, yeah, that's what I kind of took from it. And I guess I hadn't thought of it in that way, but it's kind of something about it is making sense to me. Yeah, I think we have to keep awakening. I think that's what I was trying to say about intention. Like, uh, intention to me means I'm skillfully walking down this path, which means to me means I'm becoming more and more aware. Skillfully means I'm more and more aware, not just in my meditation, but each moment I'm trying to bring as much awareness as possible. That's gradually getting more clear and i do think that at some point this enlightenment is the necessary culmination of that yeah i think you express that so perfectly yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you know uh, when i when you know saint francis said it in a different way he said you know it isn't dying that we're born to eternal life that eternal life, to me, that he's talking about enlightenment, what, what the Indies, they call enlightenment. But the dying part is interesting. He's, I don't think he's talking about physical death. Yeah. He's talking about something else. He's talking about, I think, what that man you listened to today talks about awakening. It's right, like right now, for me, dying means I'm totally present in this conversation with you. And if something happens that makes me feel uncomfortable or anxious or angry, I'm using that to understand that person and transcend that identification with that person, that fearful, angry person. So it isn't dying. I, I don't think dying is something morbid or gruesome. I think this dying is, is a matter of where's my allegiance? Where am I placing my allegiance? Am, am, I, am I stuck in being the separate individual that has to go through life uh, very careful that nothing disturbs me? Or do I have my allegiance on... That's what I mean by allegiance or maybe intention. I used the word intention before. For this eternal life. Eternal is, is an interesting word because uh, it's not a long time. It means outside of time. And I think this, that's what I was saying in the beginning. It's, we can't, how do we understand what outside of time means? No past, no present, no future, or just yeah. present. 
uh, it's something, how do we talk about or even think about that? So that's what I focus on. I don't focus on the enlightenment part so much anymore. Yeah, but you know, when, it's so interesting that when you mention the dying, because in that same talk that I was listening to by Chris Wallace, someone was asking him the question, when I meditate, what's been coming up for me, I suddenly feel like I'm dying. And mm, interesting. Yeah, and fear arises, and then I don't know where to go with that. And he was saying, similar to what you're saying, it's mm. the dying is not the physical death, which is what we're, you know, we kind of are just used to think when we associate death is like the physical body, right? So how in meditation is this feeling of I, I'm dying coming up? And so Wallace says, it's what's dying, and which you alluded to with St. Francis, is that separate self, mm -hmm. that feeling of identification with this body-mind complex. That's what has to die, I guess, for lack of a better word, because that word can be very triggering, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's also kind of fraught with all these things attached to it. But, it's, yeah. you know, in the spiritual sense, we are talking about an ego death. And that's also something that gets very misunderstood and conflated with psychological issues. So people think, okay, so uh, I get enlightened. What that means is my ego dies, and then I am identified with this amorphous, whatever it means. Yeah, everything. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> higher self, whatever, whatever. But it's not the, the personality remains intact if you look at the great masters we see they all have personalities so it's yeah. not that what's the what dies is that that link that between who you think you are and who you really are mm -hmm. and so having that identification as the mind body complex as your soul identity is what you have to die to in order to be reborn as saint francis said yeah you know, it's you, is your sense is your sense that you still you have a personality, but it doesn't have you. Something like that that uh, exactly. you can wear it very lightly because uh, you're still functioning in a in a dualistic world. So, all right, I have to be somebody. I don't have to b believe that. Uh, get stuck in that. Yeah, something like that. Is that your understanding? Exactly. It's exactly mm -hmm. because that's exactly what it is. It's like the relational truth versus absolute truth. You know how Gurudev used to always talk about dual vision. Yeah, yeah. So you transcend, but you include. Because a lot of people think, well, what it means is then you're not involved in the world. You know, when Gurudev first came to the West, and particularly in America, people thought, okay, what he's talking about is I got to get rid of all my things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought that. I went... And I was like, after the first talk I heard of Gurudev, I went home, I cleared out my closets. <laughs> I took all my jewelry, this beautiful ring my grandmother gave me. Oh, oh no. And I put it all in Salvation Army, you know, oh, those, no. <laughs> just dumped it all in. Uh, I thought that's what he was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's... Your, your relationship to all those things. It's not the things itself. Yeah. Right. And you can, give, <laughs> you can give all your things away and still be, right? Gurudev used to talk about even the, you know, the monk with the one begging bowls attached to the begging bowl. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. He's saying that the hardest thing to give up is, 
it's this sannyas ego that I gave up everything. Uh, right. That now you're stuck with this. I gave up everything ego. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. It's so true. I was reading this quote. I don't know where it comes from, but it's interesting. It says something like, we are star children and alchemists continuously converting base matter like sunshine, air, food, water into consciousness. And it's in Mm. consciousness where Leela, the play of life, is active. You know, like I'm I'm a sannyasin, Swami. And that means that uh, I take that to what St. Francis called the dying part. I'm committed to transcending my limitations. And uh, one of the things that the sannyasins do is we say these four sentences called the Mahavakyas. And they basically are saying that Brahman or consciousness, Brahman is consciousness and consciousness is the only thing that's here. And I am that consciousness. Yeah, that's so aham brahmasmi. That's the, yeah. one of the Mahavakyas. Yeah, yeah. tatomasi. Yeah, uh, you are, I am that, you know. Uh, so... It's interesting because, I, you know, I, I say it at the end of all my meditation, so that's three times a day. I say these four Mahavakyas. Wow, you do? But, and can yeah. you at some point? And I try to really feel it. But the thing is, what I want to say now, Prem, is that my path is Guru Bhakti. I say, I am that. There's nothing but, but me here. Uh, I, and, I, and I totally try to get into the spirit of that and feel that. And I don't find any conflict with that, recognizing that I ha- I'm living in a certain level of consciousness to have someone to support me in experiencing that, taking me from concept to realization. I wanted to make that point as we're talking about enlightenment, that I think that it's good to recognize that we may not be able to make it without some kind of help support Mm, okay i see okay i thought where i thought you were going which i do want to go in one of our future episodes is how you reconcile guru bhakti and this non-dualism which the mahavakyas speak to right because it seems like in guru bhakti it's this dualistic thing there's you right and then there's the guru outside of you um, and you have this devotion outside. So let us come back to that. Yeah, that that's is, a whole topic, yeah. It's a whole topic. It's very rich, very yeah. nuanced. And yeah, we will definitely revisit that. You know, and I'm reading Krishnamurti now, the great Indian philosopher, and I don't understand him that well. But one thing is clear that he, he doesn't want you to rely on any outside force. So that's where... I knock up against him. Uh, mm. I really find his, his thinking so elevated, but I guess I have a different path than, than what he's recommending. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe it does come down to different paths. Yeah. And as we know, all paths lead to the same goal. Yeah, the, yeah different pathway. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So there was a couple of quotes also from Gurudev that I love and that, I thought, you know, I could share as, again, trying to wrap our minds around, which obviously they'll never be wrapped around the concept of enlightenment, which is beyond the mind. But okay. Mm -hmm. So Gurudev was saying, the knower is constantly keeping an eye on you, is aware of everything. And that knower being, you know, who we are at our essence. Okay. This awareness is what you call the image of God which is the true you. When the mind becomes pure, you will identify with your true image. Then you know you are the knower. 
It's all there. Uh, I don't think we have to study anything else. Just meditate on those words. Yeah. Exactly. It's just unpacking that because, you know, it's, it's easy to get hung up in, well, you know, the word God. I mean, even the knower, where I get hung up is when the mind becomes pure. I mean, Gurudev talked about it so much. What is purity of mind? He said, you know, like mm -hmm. you constantly quote the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. So if we're defining God in this context as the knower, pure consciousness, self or consciousness, uh, that witnessing awareness. Yeah. When the mind becomes pure, the heart becomes pure. Yeah. And you will see, you will identify with who you truly are, your true image. So the purity, so what goes into the purity? So he would say things like what, you, what we were talking about before, the dying of that separate sense of self, the selfishness, yeah. right? It seems that, that, that this separate self made up of this conditioned mind, it's, it's very sticky. Uh, it, I don't know if it's the eye feeling that sticks to the samskaras, the conditioning, or samskaras are sticky, but the purity is that, is the unsticking of this, these two things, the I and the conditioned self. That's how I would understand purity of, of heart or purity of mind is I can not identify with this little person. Yeah. Yeah, is I think it just... How do you have a, 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 another way of understanding it? I think that mm -hmm. is the foundational understanding. It, mm -hmm. It is that. And then, you know, Gurudev would attach different things to that of, well, on the road to a clean mind and heart is like selflessness, dedication, mm -hmm. devotion, mm -hmm. the practices. Is it, are the practices the soap kind of, you know, if you want to say? And, you yeah. know, because he, he would often say that, you know, you're getting one dirt soap to clean another dirt, the dirty laundry, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you use that soap, but then you don't hold on to the soap. Then once the clothing is clean, you're done with the soap. Yeah, the soap being our sadhana, our spiritual practices, yeah. Yeah. Then your life is your sadhana, yeah. Yeah. As long as people don't <laughs> rush to get rid of this, the soap of the spiritual practices, uh, it's true that at some point uh, they lose their their necessity, but I haven't found that has happened yet. So I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't confuse the practice with uh, what I'm trying to achieve, though. Yeah, yeah. But what, what would you say about how the practices do that cleaning process? Yeah, you know, that enable, that bring us into that, I don't know how you say ability, it's not an ability, how it gets, brings us closer to being able to not cling to false identity. I think for me, it feels something like what this man, you're, you're talking about Chris Wallace, is that his name? Yeah. And by the way, for listeners who want to look him up, it's Christopher and then Wallace is spelled W-A-L-L-I-S. I think it's something along the lines of what he's saying is that my practice makes me more conscious of what's under the surface, what used to be under the surface. So there's this awakening, awakening, awakening. There are parts of me that I can't quite get underneath and see. Like the other day, I got into this discussion with a dear friend of mine, and I got 
kind of intense. The next night I woke up in the middle of the night and I started going over that conversation and I couldn't fall back asleep. It was it kind of disturbed me. Mm -hmm. And I was going over how that person was wrong and what I need to say. And then something happened and I, I could see that that wasn't really what was happening with me. There was something deeper that was the root of my disturbance. I could see it. I can see that there was something there, but I couldn't quite get underneath it to understand it. It was so great to be able to see that, you know, my, my story about that conversation and what I should have done and what I will do was secondary to understanding why am I disturbed? What's, what's disturbed? But isn't and, that what the stories are? Those are, that's what the stories are serving that for most people, the story comes up and that's it. They stop there. Now you're, and you're trying to get beneath that storyline to what the ego is trying to block that, you know, for you not to see, because that's survival. That's what the ego is up to. It's up to its own survival. And yeah, it figures exactly. out. Yeah, it figures out. That's exactly it. I think that's what I couldn't quite touch. There was someone there who needed to survive yes. this conversation. This conversation exactly. was crushing that person. Yeah. And so that's what the ego is on about. It jumps into defense mode and then yeah. it's going to try its level best to distract you with storyline. That is so profound. Yeah. And you know, as long as you have the story, you really can't change your feelings. No. You know, you can try to, you can do what Patanjali says, Pradi Paksha Bhavan or create some opposite thought. But as long as that story is, is keeps playing in the tape loop in your head, it's, it's going to, pouring some other conceptual thought over it won't work. Correct. Exactamundo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know you, you have, you, I think you have a psychology degree, master's degree, or even PhD, right? So you know these things. Yeah. I know it, but that's not yeah. always <laughs> the route out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. it does help to, you know, at least have the conceptual. <laughs> yeah. So I think, so to answer that question, I think that uh, I can, using that as an example, to show that there's this, the practices, meditation being the main one, but I think even the pranayama, the breathing practice, my hatha yoga, my attempts to do karma yoga, all show how this Swami Shokananda is keen on existing at a certain level and perpetuating that existence. The knower is aware of that, I don't like the idea of killing that fellow, as sometimes some spiritual traditions talk about killing the right. ego. Uh, and as you were pointing out, you know, you still have something, some remnants of something that exists after. Yeah, and I don't think it's killing. I think it's how Sri Ramana describes it is it gets absorbed. It almost yeah. dissolves. That part of it, you still have an ego, but the part that is the, what you call the sticky, you know, the stickiness of it, yeah. It loses the stickiness. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. You touched on a, a great point uh, that the practices create this, this gradual awakening and this awakening has to do with the stickiness. I do think that the, the, the samskaras themselves do change, but I think the, I don't know if I do much to change them. Just getting unstuck from them seems to have some impact. Yeah, you know, I do. I think that, like, with the qualities you mentioned, this uh, selflessness, devotion, dedication. To me, I try to feel that those are innate aspects of my higher self, rather than qualities I'm trying to develop. Yeah, that uh, 
I, I'm trying to feel that in the, at the core of my being, there's a capital G for good, rather than the good, some scars of Swami Shokananda. Exactly. I yeah. think that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. That is yeah. our, you know, that that's our essential nature, you know, in terms of, in yoga terms or Hinduism, it's the Atma. It's like, it's, it's pure. And that's what the Mahavakya is saying. Yeah. Yeah. I am Brahman. I am that. The and that, earth. yeah, yeah, it is the, it is purity. goodness. It's a, it's the goodness of the essential nature, Buddha nature, you know, yeah. what language you want to use is basic goodness. It's what happens when things get sticky, that mm -hmm. it, that goodness begins to get hooked up with those different qualities that make it appear that we're not good. Like Gurudev's famous example of looking into a mirror if you're looking into a funhouse mirror that's all wavy, <laughs> yeah. you're going to see waviness and then you say, I'm wavy. Whereas if you have the clean mirror, you say, oh, I'm not wavy. I am mm -hmm. basic goodness, yeah, yeah. higher self, et cetera, et cetera. I like the example of, of the eye with a dot over it. You just, you just have to remove that dot, that small eye, the dot, a little bit of impurity over the, over the eye. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that is what cleanliness of, you know, purity of mind and heart, I think that's what it's all about, is just removing those veils, those things that obscure us from seeing who we truly are in our pure essence. Yeah, I've come to accept that at the current level of consciousness I'm living at, I'm living in a dream. Even my effort to wake up is a part of the dream. The awakening, I'll wake up, the big awakening or the final awakening will come. I don't know if it'll come by my effort. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. That's another <laughs> thing to really yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's another future you know. topic. Yeah. <laughs> how much effort could we put into this? Yeah. yeah, effort, how much effort, grace, what part yeah. does that, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of good discussions ahead of us. Yes, so probably with that, we should wind down for this episode. And okay. stay tuned for further juicy spiritual <laughs> topics with the two old fogey yogis. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and will join us again for next week's episode. Please do follow and subscribe to the podcast via SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And for more information about everything Integral Yoga, you can go to Integral Yoga dot org. Om Shanti. Shanti.